The rarely visited and phenomenal country of Chad is discussed by Wendy Simmons, Chris, and Jerry. Recently returned from Chad, Wendy shares her experiences as she covers 4,000 kilometers of Chad's varied terrain, cultures, food, and scenery. Additional topics include the people, transportation, weather, best time to visit, obtaining a tourist visa, and the Edemy mountain range with its caves, fossils, unbelievable wind, and water carved formations and sunsets. Surrounded by political troubled countries, now is the best time to visit and be amazed with the friendly, spectacular country of Chad. How, how are you? Oh, very good. How are you doing? Oh, oh, doing great. Doing great. I'm really excited about the topic today. Uh, would you like to introduce our guests and our topic? There. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Um, I have been there several times, and I absolutely love the place. We're going to talk to Wendy Simmons of Vendaloo, the makers of the world-famous uh, global eyewear. And uh, she has a consulting company, and I'll have her introduce her website, etc. And Wendy, welcome to the show. Yep. Hello. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, Wendy. Yeah. Great to have you back on the show. Yeah. Glenno, Thank um, you. We've invited you to talk about going to Chad. Yeah. And I and uh, I mentioned yes. Oh well. (laughs) And I mentioned I've been there. I think three times. Mm-hmm. And everyone, every time I've gone, everyone thought I was crazy. Did you have the same experience? <laughs> well, the reaction was either, where's Chad? <laughs> or, yeah. um, I have a friend named or Chad. Or you're crazy you know? to yeah. go there. <laughs> right. Um, you're crazy. Chad? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, or the third reaction, do I have family there? So it, it is, um, I think, for most people, um, an unusual choice. And in fact, I learned... Uh, that only fewer uh, than 100 tourists visited Chad in 2015. Are you serious? <laughs> really? 100? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that was down, I think, from a high of 300 in 2014. <laughs> so they don't get a lot of tourists in Chad, yeah. what, which is what, a shame because it's an amazing place. Yeah. Yeah. What What, what was one of the... Uh, the, like the things that made you want to go to Chad in the beginning to kind of plan the trip and to, to really focus on Chad? Did you have uh, anything that kind of got you going to go, you know, or anything? Well, you know, I, um, I had visited the Sahara briefly in oh, okay. Tunisia and oh, fell no. in love with it. And oh, um, nice. I had made, you know, I had said to myself, I want to go back and really deep dive and spend time in the Sahara. And sadly in the world today, um, all of the countries uh, through which the Sahara stands uh, are more or less off limits these days because of um, jihadists. And right. Chad remains one of the few countries where you can actually go deep into the Sahara. 
Oh, oh. And, um, and even that at this point is starting to slowly become a bit threatened. So I, oh. you know, I got it in my head. I wanted to go and, um, yeah. and that's that. Yeah. That's so awesome. off I went. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. It's a beautiful place and it's really, it deserves more attention and for so many reasons, you know, the, the, the geological significance and, you know, you know, yeah. um, Daryl from being there, Jerry, that, you know, that the cave paintings rival anything in Egypt, the landscape is otherworldly. Um, you know, there's so much there. It just gets no attention. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing as you travel it, you never see anybody. Yeah, very <laughs> underpopulated. You see a lot of camels, though, right? Camels see, are pretty... I mean, they're like ants. They're just <laughs> everywhere. But, um, you know, the, the, conversely, the things that I found so fascinating, there's so few people, but you see them everywhere. And mm-hmm. whereas in other places where um, I've been, where the land is just so inhospitable and you think there's no way anything could be alive here, um, and there's nothing alive there. In Chad, it's sort of the opposite. You know, even in the most harsh, horrible places where you can't imagine anything could survive, you'll find, you know, a tiny village or, you know, a shepherd with his flock or people are everywhere in Chad. Not many, but you'll find them even in the most remote, incredibly inhospitable parts of the country. There, there will be people there. People live everywhere. It's a living desert. The one thing that I really found uh, most fascinating about it is that when when I think of the Sahara Desert, I think it's like Death Valley, the sand part of Death Valley. It's just all flat, not necessarily flat, hilly maybe, and nothing but sand. Mm -hmm. Could you mention the area that you went, which is absolutely spectacular, that... um, and how it looked out there. Well, I traveled about 4,000 kilometers. Wow. Um, I went through the Sahal, which I didn't even know existed, to tell you the truth. I felt incredibly dumb, Um, which is the area that abuts the Sahara, and started in uh, Tanina, the capital, and then traveled from there uh, all the way east, north, sort of made like a giant square, and then came Mm -hmm. back. Um, through the west, south, back to Jemina. And the one thing to your point that struck me profoundly was how varied um, Chad overall, but the Sahara is. You're right. It's it's the sand dunes, the, you know, the area that's just sand is referred to as the Urg. I guess there's three kinds of deserts. I can't remember the other two, unfortunately. And um, the, the landscape changes every five minutes. And I mean dramatically. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, there's that Mark Twain quote, if you don't like the weather in New England, wait five minutes. And that is exactly what it's like in the Sahara. And you can have giant sand dunes with winds whipping 30 miles an hour as if you're on some remote planet. And then uh, 15 minutes later, it's hot and the entire surface is as rocky as a quarry. And it's not as if there's a gradual shift from one environment to the next. It's like there's a completely straight, fine line, and you go from one to the next. So, um, you know, I tried to take photos of each one of the environments being encountered, but there's just way too many. It's, it's, it's literally, they must change every 30 kilometers or 50 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Yes. The... It's, it's, 
fascinating. Uh, I know. It's very striking. And one thing that I really love are the sunrises and sunsets. Were you impressed oh. also? Oh, my gosh. They were incredible. The moonrises look like sunsets. Wow. And the sun looks like moon eclipses, lunar eclipses. Um, you know, we were there during the Harmattan winds, which um, are when the winds blow all the sand and dust and grit somewhat unfortunate to be living outside in. But one of the effects of, of this is that it turns the entire sky, um, you know, it fills the entire sky with dust and sand and grit, so much so that it blocks out um, the halo of the sun, and it creates this effect that makes the sun look exactly like a lunar eclipse. Oh, wow. And you can stare right at it. There's no rings around it. It's, it's incredible. And when it first started happening, I couldn't figure out why, you know, what, what it was about the sun that looked so odd, why I could stare at it. <laughs> then it occurred to me, oh, yeah, this is what happens when there's an eclipse. So, yeah, the, the sunsets are incredible. And, you know, there's a lot of places you go when you leave, um, you know, cities and urban environments where you can see the stars. And I've been fortunate enough to see the Milky Way and, you know, different constellations and environments where it's very dark. But this was, you know, the, the stars touched the ground. I saw, you know, I've seen shooting stars, but I've never seen them with the burning tail off the back end. And I saw that, and it was, you know, it's just, you really can feel the roundness of the Earth. Not to sound hokey, but it was almost, it almost made me dizzy some nights, because you could really feel, you know, you, you watch the cycle of the moon. In the beginning, the moon came up at 12 in the afternoon, and I watched as I was there over the course of 20 days, by the end of the trip, the moon wasn't coming up until 10 o'clock at night. You know, you really felt Jeez. what the Earth was doing. And it's great. You got in tune you don't get with, that in those places. Yeah, you, you got in tune <laughs> with it. Yeah, you got total. You yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, everything you learn in school sort of bears itself out right in front of you. All in one country. <laughs> yeah. The people. Yeah, that's true. The people I find are very interesting and quite unique, don't you? Yeah. You know, they really, um, they sort of take in stride, first of all, that you're there, which I find somewhat remarkable considering how few tourists yeah. come through. Right. And, um, and everyone's very, it was very friendly. There's a real um, animosity towards photos, however, I found. Oh. Um, it's a mix of languages and cultures. There's a strong Muslim influence. Um, the Tubu people, who are um, largely who inhabit the Sahara, um, the traditions of the family, the way they live. I mean, life in the Sahara is not not for the meek, that's for certain. Yeah. So um, I wonder, I mean, I'm curious how, if it's changed much since when you were there. I can't imagine that life has changed all that much and how, how simply everyone lives in the Sahara. The last time I was there... Um I think it was three years ago. It mm -hmm. might have been four, but I think it was three years ago. And um, the only change, well, there are a couple of changes that I noted. Injamina um, uh, has become very modern compared yeah. to what it was uh, 20 years before that. And, uh, and it is quite modern and quite safe. And mm -hmm. it surprised me to no end. But the countryside, once you leave 37 inches outside the boundary of Angelina, um, with the exception of quite a few paved roads, 
when I was there, there were almost no paved roads. <clears throat> Everything starting outside the city was dirt. In fact, many of the streets in the city were dirt. Yeah, and, uh, the city's paved now, but outside the city, you're right, still not paved. Right, and I was just amazed, or well, pleasantly surprised that we didn't have to. Well, when we went to Lake Chad, that was my main purpose for going, to see how it has changed, because it's shrinking drastically. Mm-hmm. And it is shrinking drastically. That mm-hmm. uh, the whole way up there was paved, where before it took almost, I don't know, six, five or six hours to go from Egemene to Lake Chad. Now we didn't like mm-hmm. two hours or an hour and a half. Right. So that uh, was a strange. And the cars, the, the mode of yeah. transportation through the desert, are a thousand times better than they were 20 years ago. Uh, there's not a lot of paved roads. I mean, we had asphalt out of. 20 days, we had asphalt equivalent of two days. You know, the first probably 200, maybe 120 kilometers outside of Jemina mm-hmm. uh, on the way out and then the way back in. Mm-hmm. So otherwise, um, you know, the piece, they call them pistas, as you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there would be tire tracks visible. And then other times, I'd say the majority of the time, there was nothing that I could identify as anything <laughs> that you could follow. I mean, literally. And, there, you know, that was also something that was so amazing. Um, I don't know who you had as drivers, but my, our drivers, uh, you know, were from the North. They say that they they make the best drivers. And um, my driver in particular, Kigoy, a lovely person, he's Tubu from the North. And there's times when there's just nothing. There's literally nothing. There's nothing right. that indicates anything. And they drive according to the, the wind and the sun and, you know, which direction the dunes are facing, all these clues that, you know, unless you've grown up your whole life there would be invisible to us. Extraordinary to watch. I know it. When I went there to the area that we're going to talk to them about, um, Mm -hmm. there were no roads anywhere. Um, Well, basically the whole way from Njimina, just as you said. Right. And they could be taking me out there and slaughtering me and not a living soul would know where, why, or when. (laughs) <laughs> but mm-hmm. they know where they're going, yeah. and you they get do. there. And they it, know, and then also when you would encounter, um, you know, well, most of the shepherds we would encounter would be typically young boys, mm-hmm. and um, they would be, you know, herding huge caravans of camels or goats, or and they too on foot would somehow know where they were going. And um, you know, from what I understand, they would do so by, again, you know, knowing which direction the dunes were blowing or they can tell which direction uh, camel prints are facing. I mean, these just incredible skills that they learn from a very young age to direct them where, I mean, and for people who haven't been there, this is, you know, these are vast, vast, just massive, wide open spaces that go on for thousands of kilometers in every direction and there's just nothing there's no uh-huh. nothing to gain your bearings. It's not like, oh, I recognize that tree, you know, that right. house. Like, you know, there's just no, there's nothing. And it will all look the same, meaning maddeningly so. So, uh, you know, how they are able to orient themselves is um, it's a mystery. Can we talk a little, a, a little bit about the food? Sure. Uh, what was uh, your impression of the food versus other Arab-type com- countries that you visited, or was it similar, or...? 
Did you feel like you were going to get sick eating it when you were out in the middle of the desert? No, and, and you know, I don't know that um, it's difficult to judge because, you know, when, I don't know what your experience was, but, you know, I, I sort of went in my own little caravan. I had um, two Jeeps. You can't travel with one car in the Sahara in case you break down and you're, you know, like you're toast. Right. Um, and I had two drivers and one for each and a mechanic. And then we had a, a cook with us and my uh, interpreter translator who could translate. She was Italian alpinist. She could translate between, you know, largely between English and mm-hmm. uh, French and then the cha- you know, some, some chatty in Arabic. And um, so we, our cook was cooking for us. So I don't think, you know, he was making spaghetti and uh, potatoes and beets and things that were not, I think, you know, not typical chatty and food, um, which their diet is somewhat limited. And he was basically performing culinary miracles in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, I mean, I I kid you not, like he was cooking on fire and making risotto. So it was not typical chatty and food, but it was extraordinary feats of culinary masterfulness that he was able to pull off with nothing. And we would stop in um, whenever we would hit, uh, you know, a town, which I use that word loosely, we would, you know, pick up supplies and fruits and vegetables, lettuce and things they use, you know, we would use bleach to clean the food before we eat it. And, um, you know, I didn't really worry. I, I have have you know I've eaten in hundreds of uh, ninety countries or whatever without incident. The you know we drank water from wells across the country because you can't carry enough water with you. They were very good at knowing which wells were too uh, dirty or too filthy to drink from. We brought um, filtration and tablets to clean the water. No one really washes their hands. That gave me a little bit pause. Um, <laughs> you know, it sort of occurred to me, you know, when you just soap, but, you know. You notice that. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, like, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you try not, not to think about that too hard. There's nothing you can do about it, but. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when in Rome. So, yeah. um, you know, those are the kind of things, you know, you, you know, I think we may even talked about this. When you travel, you have to sort of let go of the way you live life at home. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's the way it is. So, yeah. and, you know, when you're in the desert and culturally it's very different anyway, a lot of these, uh, in a lot of countries outside of the United States, not just Africa, Asia and so forth, people don't use toilet paper. They use mm-hmm. their hand and water. Right. And, um, you know, you just, you got to hope for the best. So. <laughs> No. <laughs> the nice thing about it there, I think, because uh, in the summer when it can get so hot there, maybe it just kills all the germs. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Really it burns yeah. it off. Yeah. And I know, you know, if you've been to, um, if anyone's ever been to an open-air market, which all markets are in the developing right. countries, and I don't eat meat, thankfully, but you, you see the meat, and it's just, it's been out, you know, for days oh. or however yeah. long, and oh. it's covered in flies and... Oh. You know, and sometimes I ask, actually, people get sick, and they sometimes do. You know, they're not yeah. used to it either. So, um. yeah. Um, my my team, um, my crew, my little family, they slaughtered a few goats while we were oh, wow. on the road. I didn't see it, thankfully. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. I want yeah. uh, want you to discuss the one of the main purposes that you went the Aneti range and the outcrops mm-hmm. and marches. Can we talk about wow. that for a moment? Yeah, I mean Aneti. Uh, boy, it just stretches on forever. There are sandstone formations um, that really is a mountain range that stretches on four days. I mean, we spent four days in the Anetti, four, uh, five nights, four days, and we saw 3% of it. Mm. And uh, wow. they just are these extraordinary structures that have, they were uh, underwater at one point. So they were originally um, you know, formed by the action of the water, and then that's been compounded over 350 million years by the action of wind. And so they've eroded into just these weird, surreal structures. And like a snowflake, not one is the same as the next. And they're massive. And some stand alone and some are labyrinths. And I, I mean, I can't describe. We drove for four days and they just never end. And some are these freestanding and massive arches and others are shaped like elephants and I, I mean, they're, they're, it's another world. You, you're, you've left Earth entirely and <laughs> landed on some foreign, you know, universe. And um, they're beautiful. You, you climb them, and there's caves and paintings from five or 6,000 years ago. And the thing about Chad is nobody's paying attention. No one's excavating it. Nothing's blocked off. So you, you know, can arrive and in front of a cave, you can find uh, tools, you know, that, that people 7,000 years ago carved out of stone and pick them up and hold them in your hand. Wow. You can find cave paintings that are intact from 7,000 years ago. You can go into, I mean, I found mortar and pestle dozens and dozens. I, I mean, I brought them, I brought them to home, by the way, that are... <laughs> 7,000 years old. I brought home rocks that are 350 million years old. Like, it's just, it's a, it, it's a living museum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. I mean, how did you find it? You must have told Well, I found it exactly the same. I, yeah. I had not spent, at that time, time in southern Utah. I'd been through, mm-hmm. like, Grand Canyon, Bryce, Zion, Arches, but never time. And it'd been... Mm-hmm several year, years before that I had done that. So that was my first real input to colored rocks and to unique and strange and hypnotic carvings and formations, as you're mentioning. And uh, I was uh, just spellbound, awestruck. Yeah. Uh, because, as you said, it's not of this world. It's and just not... <laughs> and like, like in uh, our national parks in Utah, um, in a matter of a relatively short time, an hour or less in some cases, uh, you can drive to them. And mm-hmm. here you can drive for four days. Right. And and as you say, uh, you, it's very difficult to really describe. And pictures don't do it justice, do they? Not even close. No. No. They don't. No. There's no way to portray the the scale and the number and you know it's it, you if you have one grand canyon and you multiply it by 10 right Jeez. and then you put it above instead of below then you're starting to get 
you know, sort of an idea of what you're, the, the scale of what you're dealing with. But there, it's, you're not even close. I mean, it's just, it's, it's stunning and it's endless. And the thing that was crazy was Annette was just one thing out of another 50 that we saw that made Chad so spectacular. So... When you were out there, uh, did you do a lot of hiking, Wendy, or did you guys just drive around and then walk out and check things out kind of thing? It was a combination. Really? You, know, you spend, the one thing about Chad, you spend a lot of time in the car. Oh, so you okay. have to be okay with sitting. It takes a long time to get everywhere. To, to get, yeah. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. yeah. And then, so for me, it was great. I, I love uh, road trips, and I love looking out the window at scenery. We oh, did do um, some rock climbing. Oh. And, um, oh. and uh, you know, we would take long walks and um, there was a few, you know, a few days that we were out of the car much more so than other days. Some days were just transport days, just trying to get from one place to the next. Uh, so it was really a combination. I, I would not call this, you know, like an absolutely active vacation, but every single day you're putting camp together and taking camp down. You're outside. You don't go inside for the duration of the trip. Wow. I was outside, you know, for nine, 18 days. Oh, my gosh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I mean outside. Like, there's no, the only time you're inside is in the car. But, awesome. Um, yeah. But, you know, you, you're stopping at wells and deltas and interacting with people and animals and stopping in small towns and villages. There's also sort of this protocol. You don't see other cars, really, and, people don't see cars and so whenever people would see the jeeps they would come running and we'd stop and there's a very traditional and fun and interesting exchange people have it's very um, pitter-patter and so you stop a you spend a lot of time stopping and talking to people and um uh you know i'm i do photography i see so i'm out of the car a lot taking photos that kind of thing but you're it's largely you're, you know, to, four, you, to cover 4,000 kilometers, which is a lot in and of itself, but that distance and the type of terrain you're trying to drive through, yeah. um, you have to be in the car a lot. Right. Yeah. So, cool. um, but I will tell you uh, two things. One, I don't know if you had this um, opportunity or not. There was one place near one of the labyrinths, which uh, are these sandy rock formations that are literally in a labyrinth that just went on for as far as I could see. We, we climbed one hill, um, which they had named Fossil Hill. Nothing has names there because no one has mapped it out or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so whoever sort of names it gets to name it. But there was um, a hill they had nicknamed Fossil Hill, and we climbed about maybe 12, 1,300 meters. And um, there are these fossils... Uh, that they, I guess, were about 350 billion years old. And they, they're called, I'm going to mispronounce it, Ar- Arlenia enigmatica. And they exist only in Chad and some, apparently in the U.S., but never, no one spoke English well, so I was always like a little confused about everything. And um, they, they're 350 million years old, and they don't know if they were plants or animals. It was when they were obviously under the sea. And they just littered this mountain huge. Some of them were as big as a table and oh, another nice. were small. 
And, um, you know, I held them in my hand. These are the kind of things that in any other country would be completely roped off, dug up, and put in a museum. They'd, right. you know, they'd be in the Smithsonian. And um, now they're in my kitchen. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so now we know where to go. <laughs> kind of thing. Like the exactly. pretty... You know? Robbing the pyramids. <laughs> right. <laughs> we haven't you know, done... I kept saying, like, where are the scientists? Why is no one here? It just makes no sense to me. You I know, know. It's, it's nuts. The same thing with, I found seashells in the Sahara. I wrote about I this in Huffington Post. It's just crazy to me. It's just the, the treasures of the of Chad beyond a visual or just spectacular. Yeah. The... Thing that um, again, another thing that uh, intrigued me is how big Chad is. Ah, you massive. mentioned four thousand kilometers, but Chad is big, isn't it? That's a huge. Country. Oh, it's huge. I yeah. barely scrape. I barely scrape the surface. Yeah. I know. I, I, it's. I mean, and I, it's not even the biggest country in Africa, which is surprising. You mm-hmm. feel, but you know, the fact that it's landlocked, I think. Um, also sort of lends to the, the strangeness of it. It's just, uh, it's land for as far as you can see. Um, I think it's, I think it's close to 500,000 square miles. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. It's like three times larger than California. I mean, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And the, I guess the whole, uh, top half of it, maybe two thirds of it are the are Saharan desert. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. What and it's not surrounded by, oh. by countries that love it. <laughs> I know it. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, it, well, sort of like Switzerland, isn't it, during World War II? Yeah. It's sort of semi-neutral. Yeah. yeah. At least for the time being. Tough, fun. Tough friends around it. Yeah. Yes. What? You do. You see there's parts of it. You see um, leftover t- you know, tanks that's just uh, from, the, from the war with Libya. There's uh, big areas right. where you find lots of tanks and armaments that just uh, have been left in the desert following the war. Mm-hmm. I know when we were there a couple of years ago, um, they were in their civil war. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about 100 tourists a year. Uh, when we got there at the airport, and we went through um, immigrations, I'll never forget it to my deathbed. <clears throat> the, man at the booth opened up my passport and he slipped through and found my visa and he looked at it and went, Tooties? No one comes to chat for Tooties. And I said, uh, well, we did. And we checked in at the uh, Kempinski Hotel in, uh, in Jemina and the guy at the desk when they take your passport, looked at Tooties, it's the same thing. <laughs> You're here for Tooties? And we said, yeah. And we found out we were the only two tourists in the entire country. Whoa, at oh, the yeah. time, wow, wow. Yeah. I was the only one there the week, the two weeks I was there. Really? It's really yeah. strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. How, how hard yeah. was it? Was it was it hard to get a visa? Did you have to go through the Chad embassy here in, in America or the consulate? Yeah, I went down. It wasn't hard. Um, oh, really? It was an application process, but I, I had to go down to Washington, D.C. Oh, really? The embassy to get it. And oh. funny enough, similar to your story, they accidentally gave me a diplomat visa. Because they just weren't thinking tourists. So I had to go back and get it corrected. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> they like couldn't, I guess, imagine someone was going otherwise. <laughs> yeah, no. we had the same yeah. problem. 
They actually yeah. called us on the phone. Have you ever had an embassy call you <laughs> about yeah. your visa? <laughs> and I've never, even to BPRK, never have I had it. Yeah. And they actually called me and said, did you check the wrong box? <laughs> <laughs> I said, which They're box did I so check? Oh, nice at the embassy, though. They're very lovely. I must say, one of the nicest embassies I've ever interacted oh. with. Oh, nice. As far yeah. as, well, that just shows by them calling us how polite and what a wonderful people they are. Yeah. Exactly. They're really exactly. concerned. Yeah. What time yeah. of year did you go? And do you recommend that time of year going to Chad? From what I understand, it's the better time of the year. The temperature is really uh, manageable. It's actually freezing cold at times. And right. um, there's no wasps. You can't go during the raining season uh, because of the mosquitoes and most of the roads or many of what you know roads, quote unquote, are impassable. Yeah. Um, and so I believe, you know, I, I think the, the types of photos and the and how it looked to me was spectacular. With so, you know, the way the wind created such eerie landscapes, and I've had somebody on Facebook commenting, someone who lives in Chad, um, telling me it looks entirely different in the summertime than it does in the winter. So I'm sure mm. it's just a different experience. Um. But, you know, I was really happy with the time of year I went. I will say, though, it was freezing at mm-hmm. night in particular. And in the south, further south, it was manageable. It was warm. Nice. Like, nice warm. And my guides uh, told me, my translator told me that if when you go during the warmer times, it can be unbearable. Mm-hmm. So whenever I would complain how cold I was, she would remind me <laughs> how happy I should be that it wasn't the other extreme. So Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, but, I mean, I had... Two down coats on and a hoodie and you know a wool cap and gloves the whole your whole thing. Wow. And yeah. Did you experience much wind? Ah, oh, unbelievable wind! <laughs> uh, it was crazy. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah, the sun looked like an eclipse. It was yeah. brutal and it was relentless. Wow. That that you know you get used to anything, but. Mm-hmm. I think there was like one or two days when the wind wasn't horrible, and he, we're like, "Huh, what's different today?" <laughs> you know, like we're just <laughs> so used to it. When I would get in the tent at night, my ears would be ringing because the wind was so bad. But for me, it kind of made it that much more of an adventure in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know. So, um, but I have to say, it's so uncouth. But at night, when you'd be in your tent, like the whole tent would be flapping and hitting your head and oh, just it was like the most horrible sounding thing and you'd have to go to the bathroom you're like oh god <laughs> 17 more days no way I'm getting out of this tent right. this the worst. <laughs> so awful and some That's days great. it was so funny because the the chatty and men the three men that were you know, the cook and the drivers they were Muslim obviously so they prayed five times a day and um some days the wind was so bad they would pull the car over to get out and pray and I promise you they it would be like the 60 second prayer it was so funny because the weather was just so bad and I would tease them I was like was that the McDonald's version you know like they were like in and out of the car in two minutes the wind was so bad that's funny so, um, what a great adventure but you know it's part of what the Saharan people deal with that time of the year so it was interesting to yeah. see that part of their lives yeah so. Let's talk a minute about you traveling as a single woman. Does mm-hmm. 
that affect anything? Did you feel like you got preferential treatment or not preferential, any kind of treatment? Well, it's um, interesting because in uh, Muslim culture in Chad, and I can't speak to it everywhere, but, you know, and again, this is always a sort of a language barrier thing. Um, it's Tubu, you know, the Tubu people cross with being, um, having Islamic religion. So it's some intersection there because this wasn't the case with our uh, other driver who is from the South. But in the North, the women can't eat with the men. Oh. They can't eat in front of men, only, um, oh. only uh, inside their own houses. So this prompted a conversation one day. And Tagoy, my driver who I adore, who is sort of our leader, he, for example, is on Facebook, but was telling us that if he ever saw his wife eat in front of another man, he would divorce her immediately. Oh, and wow, really? I, oh, yeah, man. immediately. And I was teasing him, like, how is it possible that you would divorce your wife for eating in front of a man, but you're on Facebook? Like, these things don't compute. Mm. And this led to a bigger conversation about what must he think that I'm there, a woman by myself. And he was sort of explaining that, uh, you know, foreign women are like Mar- Martians. We don't exist in the, oh, in the tech, you know, in their life. Right. Like we're just, we're like <laughs> something else. You're we're like a panda that can speak uh, Spanish. You know, we are like, don't, we don't apply. Nothing applies. And, um, you know, I think in countries like Chad or other places I go, being a woman is secondary to not being from that country. It's just like an added extra thing. So generally, I think I'm a foreigner first, and then a woman second. Uh, so you know, it's sort of like on the the first thing that stands out is that I'm not from there, and and a woman is just like an added added bonus, if you will. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I never feel that that's something that would prevent me or should prevent anyone from going any place by themselves. Oh, good. Yeah. Did you take, uh, in the line of clothing, for example, did you take something that you, or sorry, you took, or did you wish you had taken something else? I took very little clothing. I brought three pairs of pants and three shirts, a hoodie, and two down coats for 22 days. Awesome. That's and um, a hat and two pairs of socks. I wish I had brought more socks because more socks. they were... Filthy, and I wanted to. I wanted to save one pair of pants, one T-shirt, and one pair of socks for plane home because I can't stand traveling home dirty. Mm-hmm. And um, I, my, I was filthy. I mean, I wore one pair of pants for nine days and then switch pants. Um, mm-hmm. And one day, I got a little boy threw a rock down into water and splashed on me. That was completely full of poop. So I, uh, very dirty. <laughs> um, I wish I brought more socks. Uh, you know, had I had more clothes. It wouldn't have mattered. I was so dirty from not showering anyways. If someone was going the time of year that I went, I brought long johns, but I wore them to sleep. I probably would have brought an extra pair to wear under my clothes uh, um, during the day because it was so cold. Um, no, I was satisfied. You know, I, when you're on this kind of trip, I've, you know, I've said this before. I may have said it when I came on with you guys last time. Everyone packs too much. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. So... But did I really need to put on fresh clothes when I wasn't showering anyway? Right. No. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. And they're going to get dirty like in 30 seconds with all the wind and the dust. 30 seconds. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah One thing I brought um, that I was 
super happy I brought was uh, a long, like a thin scarf for my head, Ooh, for my hair. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I ended up having that wrapped around my head, just, you know, like the way Chadians do yeah. Um, yeah. every day, which was a lifesaver. Yeah, won't I mean, get first of all, ear. because my hair looked terrible, but also right. because uh, to keep the sand out. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. You That's mentioned cool. uh, being yeah. dirty. It's amazing um, how, after a while, you don't realize how dirty you are. <clears throat> ah. Uh, yeah. I mean, because, so normal, dirty. Uh, I mean, have you climbed Kilimanjaro? No. Mm-mm. Um, well, I think the dirtiest, well, uh, one of the dirtiest I've ever been in my life is climbing up to Kili, taking four days and two days down. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got back to the hotel, um, I just walked, I knew I was not really clean. You know, you wash important parts from a little bowl. But right. But you don't wash any clothes. It's like there is just too windy and sandy. You don't dare. And um, I got in the shower with my clothes on, and it was black. Coming down, oh. the, the water was black. when it's going down <laughs> the drain. I thought, oh, my word. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, and, uh, I I showered the morning I left Jamina, and then mm-hmm. I showered the morning I got back, or the afternoon I got back to Jamina, which was 18 days later. Wow, that, that was like a 30 minute shower. Yeah, <laughs> it was the longest shower I've ever taken in my entire life. <laughs> was that the best shower too? The best shower you've ever taken? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a very very long shower. <laughs> You'll remember that the rest of your life. Yeah, like, that's the best shower in the world. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing like that, and and also just yeah. s- sitting down in a in a table, I bet too, and just inside. Yeah. Wendy, is there anything else you would like to add about visiting yeah. the fabulous country of Chad? Oh, yeah. let's first talk about the name, the spelling of it. Oh yeah, just everything there has a lot of extra letters that I can't account for. Oh. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Welsh, Welsh a little bit. Wales is like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's spelled T-C-H-A-D. I don't know why. And Jamina, the capital, by the way, also has a lot of extra letters. Not clear for, for what reason. And I spelled that wrong. And, uh, you know, apostrophe D-J-A-M-E-N-A. Um, I, you know, it took me a long time, probably more days than it should have, to pronounce um, Jemaine, all right, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you know the reason. I have no idea why the things are spelled the way they are there. Yeah, I don't either. Um, <laughs> uh, on Chad, uh, that's the only one that I, after my visits there, I, it occurred to me that maybe because when you're there, they they don't say Chad; they say something like Chad. Yeah. And also, look, and I think the T C H makes it. Chad, and not Chad. So I, I think that's where that came from. But don't ask me why that T is there either. And, yeah. But they say it a little differently than we do. So I just guess. Well, Chad, Chad yeah. has a, a T in front, sort of maybe. But um, anything else you would like to add? Because you know, I I encourage people to go. It's beautiful. It's um. It's just such another experience, and I've been, you know, I like you. I've traveled not extensively, but I've seen, you know, quite a number of countries in Africa, and each one is so different. And um, it's just 
Chad is just a lovely place and it deserves more visitors. It's not an easy trip. You know, it's certainly, um, there's no, there's no luxury to it whatsoever. You're camping and you're in tents and not like fancy tents. Mm-hmm. There's nothing fancy, you know, there's, it is, but if you understand that, it's worth it. You'll never see any place else like it. And unfortunately, I don't think, as you and I had been talking about before this, I don't know how much longer people will be able to safely travel there. So now it's the time to seize the opportunity and go. Yeah, just about any sacrifice because it's worth it. It's worth it Mm -hmm. to get back. Well, Wendy, uh, could you tell us how people can contact you or your website? Sure. It's um, www.wendysimmons.com. And then from there, they can uh, reach me by email or, or through my Facebook. They can reach me on Facebook. And also mentioned your forthcoming book, probably May. Oh, thank you. It's um, It will be out May 3rd, and it's called My Holiday in North Korea, the Funniest Worst Place on Earth. I love it, my holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Great uh, multi-meaning title. Yeah. <laughs> well, Wendy, we do yeah. want to thank you so much for being yeah. our guest today. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, well, I really appreciate it. I love coming on, so thank you so much. It's always very fun chatting with you both. So. Yeah, it was awesome to hear about your adventure to Chad and, and look forward to hearing more soon. Yeah, so. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much, and have a great new year. You also. Thank you for listening to our show from all around the world. We really appreciate that. And we'd like to uh, give a shout-out. Thank you to Stephen Pratt for helping compose the music, the wonderful intro and the ending of the show. And I'd also like to uh, say thank you to James Steed uh, for helping with the website and audio information. And also Nate Scholes um, about uh, getting us on the right track and helping us on the podcast on Travel Advice Show. Um, So thank you so much and uh, enjoy all your travels around the world.